Thanks for checking out this weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Scripture reading is coming from Mark chapter 26. Then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And they had crucified him. They divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you come to us at this moment. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. Let us receive your holy word. Let us weave it into our lives. And let it live with us and through us. Amen. That very long passage of scripture is a a rather complicated business. And... uh, when I first saw it, I said, well, I'm not going to fool around with the stuff that uh, I normally would be relishing. This is something that's really important. And I began to make the preparations. And the whole time I was getting Brandon all whipped up about coming and it being his birthday and everything. And we started off early yesterday by going to Southern University for the blue and gold game. And we said, we're going to have... Two days of great times. Well, it didn't happen. Now, you know there's always a story if I'm going to preach, right? Okay. We're on the way back, and then the light comes on my dashboard that says, transmission overheating. So we get off the interstate. We go to a gasoline station and call AAA, who tells us we will have a tow truck to you by 3.30 in the morning. It isn't 6 o'clock in the evening. After waiting a couple of hours, he finally got his mother to come and get him and take him back to North Baton Rouge. And I made it home at midnight. And I said, Satan, you are wasting your time. This is going forward. And so, uh, as usual, I have my 
sermon preparation adventure with the devil. So things are in good order. This is a very challenging piece of business that we're dealing with. About the time of Jesus' birth, between 4 B.C. and 7 B.C., a new sect, a new denomination, or whatever you would like to call it, in Judaism appeared, and it was called the Zealots. These people believed that if they purged Judah of all Roman and Greek elements, in fact, all pagan foreigners, that then a theocracy in the truest sense of the word, ruled by God, would physically take place. God would literally come and rule these people. The only way they could see this happening was by violence. And so they became a radical group that literally murdered both Jews and Gentiles who they thought stood in the way of them cleansing the place for God. As it would happen when Jesus put together the 12 disciples that represented the new constitution of the 12 tribes, there were people in that group with zealous affiliations. And that was to play a crucial role in what took place. The passages talk about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, humbly riding on a donkey. Folks, trust me, there's nothing humble about that. While the gospel writers are believed to have pulled that from Zechariah, the fact is Roman generals, conquering Roman generals like Sulla, rode either mules or donkeys into conquered places. What Jesus is doing is not some naive thing. It's a knowledgeable riding in like a conquering general. And the people are accepting it as just that. He had already proven a lot of things. He had spent 40 days in the wilderness dealing with all of the evil demons and the physical things in the world that we would have to deal with and survive in. He had controlled nature by just speaking to the wind and to the waves. He had cured incurable diseases. He had raised the dead. So he had done a lot of things to prove his messiahship. But you see, he hadn't done one thing that was important to the Jews of his day. They expected the Messiah to be the end-time warrior. The one who would call forth the armies of God, who would come in and fight the war of all good versus all evil. Now, Judas Iscariot, the most trusted of all the disciples, he handled the money. He passionately believed in 
Jesus as the Christ. And I suspect more so than anybody else. But again, he was defining the Christ not simply as a redeemer who is going to return the people to the Torah and to the covenants, but he was going to be the one who's going to kill all these enemies and drive them away. And so when Jesus did things like go to the temple and quote-unquote cleanse the temple, it made no sense. I mean, it's not just that you can't put money into the temple treasury. You have to go to a money changer. And you give him this thing with a pagan god stamped on it, or the image of an emperor, and he then gives you a blank stamped with a number that the priest can touch and can buy the things to carry out the temple's purposes. So why are you turning over their tables? You can't just bring a pigeon or a turtle dove to sacrifice. These things peck little pebbles that their goal is going to grind up grain and things they eat, and they can pick up their fecal matter. So you must raise these things for temple sacrifice in a cage over running water so that they don't become unfit by eating any of their feces. There's a lot of things going on here that are essential to the practice of Judaism as Jesus knew it that he is making a ruckus about. Those people you hear who are bound in the right hand, those are Levites who have been taught to be highly proficient with every weapon in the Jewish arsenal with the right hand. Then their hand is tied behind them and they must practice with the left hand until they become ambidextrous. These temple police, at the slightest disturbance, rush and return the place to peace. So how is Jesus doing this stuff and no temple police show up? Could it be that people like Simon the Zealot or maybe even Judas Iscariot have gotten the zealots involved to block their way? Something to think about. Next door to the temple is the Tower Antonio, staffed with Roman soldiers who have been in a lot of friction with people going to the temple to worship, trying to be provocative, flashing obscene signs, saying things to them, looking down into the forecourt of the temple where all this stuff is going on. They want an excuse to come inside of the sacred space. But strangely, they never show up. Is the possibility that the zealots forewarned of what Jesus was going to do are blocking them? Herod 
tries to look down into the temple and screens have been erected to try to block his vision. He goes to extremes to see what's going on. But there are no Herodian forces to show up when Jesus creates this disturbance. Were they not sent or is it possible that without Jesus' permission or consent of any kind, zealots are blocking them? Jesus is executed by Romans for sedition. Those two people who are on the cross with him are not brigands, they're not thieves, they are zealots. They are people being executed, teasing the life out of them by the Romans as a clear signal that if you attack citizens or people who are ruled by Rome, you will pay a very high price. One of these guys is joreening him. Yeah, why don't you get yourself and us down? Why don't you call the angels if you are the one? And remember that the Gospels are apologia. They are legal defenses of the ministry and person of Jesus. And so it's very important that one of those guys say, we should be proud to die for the cause. But this guy has nothing to do with us. And then ask Jesus, please remember me. So the Gospels are making clear Jesus has nothing to do with violence. He is not the leader of an end-time war against the Romans or the Greeks. He is the one who is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. You're not bringing a sheep or a lamb or a bull and putting your hand on this and saying, I acknowledge I have sinned. And I ask that you accept this life rather than mine and give me a chance to start over again. This is the one sacrifice that will surpass every sacrifice that has ever been made. It will cleanse all men of sin. Jesus is not some bumbling idiot who's just stumbling into a set of things. Jesus knows quite well what's going on. He tells Judas to go and do what he must do. Without Jesus giving our friend Judas the go signal, that story could have turned out very, very differently. You see, we have a problem. We're always talking about we want the kingdom to come. We're always praying to God, thy will be done. We don't really want that. We really want our will to be done. Judas wants his will to be done. He wants Jesus to be what he believes Messiah to be, not what Jesus has been telling him for three years 
the Messiah is. And we do that kind of stuff. We have to be thoughtful when we are talking to ourselves, thinking things through, when we're talking to our family, trying to keep them focused and on the right path, when we're in a public venue, trying to show people what it means to be a Christ-like person, not by running our mouths, but by doing and demonstrating what it means to be a Christian. My goodness, some of these people who are constantly harping on the fact that they are saved, they are Christian. Jesus wouldn't be able to figure out what they're talking about watching what they say and do to other human beings. Those doggone people, Jesus wouldn't have no three-year ministry. I can tell you right now. They killed Jesus in the first month. They have all the wrong criteria. They want to make Jesus over into something that satisfies their own selfish desires and anticipation of them having the kingdom that they want to come. We can't have that, folks. Now, I don't expect you to run out and start getting these people's faces challenging them. But people who look at you when you say you are a Christian should see something markedly different from what they see when they look at those folks. You are the instrument of God. They said none is righteous but he. But you're an extension of the Christ. You should be someone that people can stand back and watch and say, that's the way I should live. That's what I should do. You should be walking the walk and never have to talk to talk. We have to be something different and something more. They keep talking about us as the salt and the light. Well, get salty. Don't throw shade, throw light. And let the kingdom come. Amen.